travel back with me to 1949. Gold fever had broken out in California, and people when the droves were wandering westward to strike it rich. There's gold in them thar hills. A man left New England, left his wife, left their son. As soon as he arrived and found gold, he was planning to send for them. Come on over. We're rich. But a long time passed. He had still not struck gold or struck it rich, but he didn't make enough money to send for them. His wife's heart leaped for joy. She brought their son to New York, boarded a Pacific steamer, and sailed away to San Francisco. They had not been at sea very long before the emergent cry rang through the ship that there was fire on board, but there was also gunpowder on board, and the captain knew the moment the fire reached the powder. Every man, woman, child would die. The ship crew broke out the lifeboats, but the boats were too small. In a minute, the lifeboats were too overcrowded. The last boat was just pushing away when the mother pled with them to take her and her boy, and they replied, I'm sorry, we can't. We have as many as we can hold. And they rowed away. She begged them. She begged them so much until they finally agreed just to take one more passenger. She held her son in her arms, gave him one last hug, kissed him one last time, and dropped him over the burning ship into the boat. She cried out, My boy, if you ever live to see your dad, tell him I died in your place. As the preacher D.L. Moody shared that tear-jerking story, he gave the following altar call. Quote, that is a faint type of what Christ has done for us. He laid down his life for us. He died that we might live. Will you not love him? What would you say of that young man if he should speak contemptuously of such a mother? She went down to a watery grave to save her son. Well, shall we speak contemptuously of such a Savior? May God make us loyal to Christ. My friends, you will need him one day. You will need him when you come to cross the swellings of Jordan. You will need him when you stand at the bar of God. May God forbid that when death draws nigh, it should find you making light of the precious blood of Christ. That's, that's pretty powerful. And we're going to learn a whole lot more about that precious, precious blood of Christ right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Welcome back, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to LJ Harry. I'm your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion podcast, today's episode stems from a lesson dated April 16th, 2023, entitled Covered by the Blood, and it comes from Exodus chapter 12, verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. I love that word, smite. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. So our homework this week is to use the word smite in casual conversation. Go. While you're thinking about that, let me share this with you. As we get older, we tend to think a little bit more about dying. We realize we're not immortal, not invincible. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 8 reads, There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. We all will face death one day unless we are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord. And then, all right. But if not, 
That is one appointment we will never be able to avoid. We could only imagine how prisoners on death row feel when facing a determined execution date. That utter hopelessness would would just be beyond anything most of us could imagine. But imagine the overwhelming exhilaration if they were told somebody else had volunteered to die in their place. The prisoners who are guilty know they're guilty and know they will die for their crimes, and yet some stranger has strangely stepped in and assumed their crimes and the penalty that goes with them, which means the guilty one actually goes free. It's called substitutionary death, where the guilty is now declared not guilty because someone else paid the penalty for their crime. The children of Israel, they may have experienced a piece of this feeling every Passover, They knew that sin had broken their relationship with God and they realized they were guilty and they deserved to die. Without a payment for their sin, they could only look forward to death. Hebrews 9 verse 22 declares, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. If no blood was offered as a sacrifice for sin, sins could not be remitted. Israel lived under bondage to the Egyptians. They spent 430 years in captivity, far removed from their beloved homeland. Each passing day brought a greater sense of hopelessness and helplessness. And most likely there were days they wondered if God had forsaken them and left them to die in Egypt. But they were God's chosen people no matter what, and he was not about to leave them or forsake them. So, to bring about their release, God sent Moses and Aaron to the house of Pharaoh to demand he let God's people go. And time after time, Pharaoh refused. With every refusal, God sent a new plague to convince Pharaoh to free the Jewish people, bringing us to our first question. Have you realized that some of the things that happen in your life might be God trying to get your attention? At the first Passover, God instructed the man of every Jewish household to kill a young lamb or goat that had no defects. It had to be perfect. And each family was to roast and eat that sacrifice, and any leftover meat you couldn't put into a take-home box, it was to be burned. And they were to eat their meal fully dressed, sandals on their feet, walking sticks in their hands, ready to go as soon as Moses gave the signal. Some of that lamb's blood was to be taken and smeared on the top and the sides of the doorposts of each home. Marking that blood brought the true meaning of Passover into their lives. Which has brought us to our second question. Have you ever considered the physical actions that people had to perform in order to offer sacrifices to God? This was not a quick process. It cost them money, it cost them time, and yet that's how God prescribed it because he knew one day he would pay an extremely exorbitant, higher than we could ever imagine price. And this was just foreshadowing of that day when sacrifice would truly cost something. To deliver God's people, God went out throughout the land of Egypt. And if the blood was not applied to the home, the firstborn of every household, even in Israel, would die. God promised Moses, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that's where we get the term Passover. God passed over the lives of those who were marked by the blood of the sacrifice, sparing them from death. Israel understood there was no deliverance without the covering of blood. The morning after that first Passover, Israel experienced a peace they had not felt in years. They were no longer captives. Because of the blood, they were free. We experience that same peace and freedom through Jesus Christ. Sin has wreaked havoc in our lives, has broken our relationship with God, has kept us bound, and yet Jesus shed his own blood 
to bring us peace. We're no longer captives. Thank God, by his blood, we're free. Isaiah 9, verse 6 promises that the coming Messiah will be the Prince of Peace. Jesus is our peace. Take a look at another Old Testament feast, the Day of Atonement. It's the highest, holiest day on the Jewish calendar. During that day, the high priest offered a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And that sacrifice reconciled the people back to God. Then the high priest released a goat into the wilderness, which symbolized the carrying away of the sins of the people. He passed the sins of the people onto the head of that goat and then said, okay, buddy, get out of here. That scapegoat was never to return to the camp of Israel. One could say the sacrifice of atonement restored the broken relationship between man and God. It also brought peace to that relationship. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. You might have heard it before. Somebody meets you, greets you, and says shalom. But it's deeper than just peace. It's wholeness, completeness. Brings about it a sense of permanence. Jesus took that which was broken and put it back together again to where now we can be in right relationship with God, at peace with him, rather than at war with him. Atonement is taking that which was broken, bringing it back together, bringing it to oneness again. That's what Jesus did through his death, his burial, his resurrection, through the gospel. He set our broken relationship at one with him again. It's comforting to know we have the Prince of Peace no matter what life brings our way. Jesus' shed blood brings peace to the turmoil in our minds and our spirit because Jesus was our atonement. His sacrificial blood paid the penalty for our sins. Thank God he was willing to pay the penalty for the sins we have committed. Isaiah 53 teaches that all our sins were passed on to him. Now we live with a peace far greater than anything in this life could ever hope to bring. But for Israel, Passover was not a one-time event. God commanded Passover to be observed every year. Exodus 12, verses 3 through 6 was the beginning of the instructions for Passover. When God said, Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month you shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. The lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And let me just say this very quickly. One of my dear friends, Luke Levine, who pastors the sanctuary of Quad Cities in Illinois, preached a masterful message from this passage called, The Lamb is Too Large. It was fabulous. And back to our story. God never intended Israel to just celebrate Passover during their deliverance from Egypt. The following verses, Exodus 12, verses 25 through 27, let us know that they were to observe Passover in the promised land. When you get where you're going, do this again. Every sacrificial animal pointed to that ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who would be God manifest in flesh to redeem all humanity from our sins. Jesus would carry all the sins of all the world and pay the payment to bring remission for all those sins. In the year Jesus died, the Jews again celebrated Passover by killing a lamb for the temple sacrifice. During that normal celebration and offering, they missed the fact that Jesus died as the final sacrifice of atonement, 
When he cried from the cross, it is finished. He was declaring an end to offering blood sacrifices for the sin of the people because he offered himself. Next question. How can we show Jesus our gratitude for being our ultimate sacrifice? Year after year, sacrificial lambs were offered at Passover, and year after year, the sins of the people were rolled ahead in anticipation of the day the Messiah would come. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, John declared, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, In whom we have redemption through his blood, Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1 verse 7. These scriptures and a whole myriad of others all point to the fact that Jesus Christ is our atonement. No no longer do we haul in an F-150 with a trailer behind it to bring a sacrificial lamb or goat every Sunday to present it to God. Instead, we present ourselves to him every day and we point to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. By his death, he delivered us from the bondage of sin. His death, his burial, his resurrection allow people to find a way through this new birth experience to truly be free from sin. Thank God for his precious blood. Now, certainly Passover has some somber overtones, but it was a time to rejoice for the people. And they expressed their gratitude to God for forgiving their sins and allowing them to move forward in their relationship with him. That incredible sense of thanksgiving filled their souls. By living a life pleasing to God, they actively expressed their thanks to him. Our lives should be the same when we understand the amazing, exorbitant price Jesus paid to forgive our sin. It should fill us with such gratitude that every day we should live thankful for God's great gift of forgiveness. What about you? Do you view every day as a way to actively express your thanks to God? Though the result of his atonement was twofold. First, the people's sins were rolled ahead through the innocent blood of a sacrifice. Second, the people walked into their tomorrow without the weight of the sins from yesterday. They experienced freedom that could only be produced by the sacrifice of atonement. And so do we. When Jesus died at Calvary, forgiveness was provided for all the sins of humanity. Secondly, when we have had Jesus' blood applied to our lives through this new birth experience of repentance water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ and the infilling of his Holy Spirit, we experience freedom we have never experienced before. From the very beginning, God told us the penalty of sin is death. Ezekiel 18 verse 20, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. That's the extremely bad news, but the extremely good news is Jesus suffered the punishment for our sin. So the penalty for our sin is forever removed from us when we are born again. The Apostle Paul let us know the blood of Christ has destroyed the power of sin in our lives. He spent the entire seventh chapter of the book of Romans detailing the power of sin. Then he was quick to tell us that neither the law of God nor our conscience can deliver us from the power of sin. Struggle is real. The battle is intense. The only real victory and power over sin is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our last question. Have you ever compared the struggle in Romans 7 to the freedom found in Romans 8. And the bridge from 7 to 8, Paul opens up verse 1 of chapter 8 with, but there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
That's the key. Those who are born again are living with the power by the grace of God to live above the power of sin. Ultimately, how we live our lives is our choice. Every day we choose throughout the day choices that will be a testimony of how we decide to live our lives. Paul began that eighth chapter that if you have the Spirit, you're no longer condemned. So walk in the Spirit. Don't walk after the flesh. The power of the Spirit becomes the source of our strength. As we live for Jesus and walk in the Spirit, the desire for sin will fade away. The closing verses of Romans 8 are so powerful. Perhaps you've already heard them before. Nothing, nothing has the power to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And with that, we wrap this up. One of the most hopeless places on earth would have to be death row. The cells might only be eight feet by 10 feet. And crammed into that small cell is a bed, a toilet, a sink. And that's about it. A few inmates have a desk and chair shoved into that limited space. Their cell where they live is about the size of the average bathroom in a house. But imagine having a bed, a toilet, a sink, a desk, and a chair all shoved into that room the size of a bathroom and being locked in there for 23 hours every day. Physical activity is limited to sleeping, showering, perhaps, perhaps an occasional visitor. Some prisons will allow an hour or so for exercise in the yard. The average length of time a prisoner lives on death row is more than 15 years. And shockingly, 40% of them have been there over 20. It's become common for prisoners to die on death row just from sickness or other natural causes. While that physical routine would be maddening enough, you can only imagine how terrifying the mental anguish is living every day knowing you are condemned to die for a crime you committed. What would your thoughts be with every passing day? Would you hold out hope for a last-minute stay? Would you dream of the governor of your state issuing an 11.59 p.m. pardon and sparing your life? That would be maddening, but all of us, spiritually, have been living on death row. We are guilty as charged. We cannot protest our innocence because we're not. We're not innocent. We're guilty. Like everybody else who came before us who have sinned, we are condemned to die for our sin. But from time to time, we dream. What would it be like to be free? What would it be like to break out of these bars, to break out of this prison of sin? Yet no matter how much we dream about it, there seems to be no way out. There's no last-minute reprieve or pardon. This is it. We are destined to die in our sin. Until now. For according to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, now is the day of salvation. Jesus Christ did step into the prison of sin in our lives and offered to take our place. In fact, he already died so we can live. He became bound to the cross so we could be set free. His atoning sacrifice at Calvary, I know it sounds too good to be true, but it's not. It's grace. His atoning sacrifice covered our sin. We can find our way to freedom through repentance and having our sins washed away by being baptized in the lovely name of Jesus Christ. And we can become new creatures in him by receiving his Holy Spirit. Jesus removes the condemnation of sin by allowing us to walk in his spirit. This results in us never being separated from the love he has for us. What amazing love that God, the Father of all, would come in human flesh to die so we could live. Thank God for the blood. 
right after we pray, I'd ask you to stick around for a little bit. I've got something very special I'd like to ask you to do. I believe it's going to be a blessing to you and to others around you. So let's pray, and then I want to share that with you. We're going to pray for God to help us be grateful for the price he paid, and then, because of the price he paid for us to live above sin, that God would give us the strength in his spirit to help us live above that sin. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful. Thank you that you paid the price for us. Thank you that you paid the penalty for sins we have committed. Thank you that our punishment was passed to you and you willingly bore it to Calvary. We are thankful today and want to live grateful and we want to live holy. We want to live above the power of sin by your spirit and your grace. Since you were willing to pay that price, help me to live a life that glorifies and honors you and points others to you. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, please help us today in everything we do to live above the power of sin by your grace and your spirit. Fill us so full of the Holy Ghost that we don't even have a desire for sin, only a desire to live in a way that honors and glorifies you. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, God's Word for Life listeners. Hey, be sure to subscribe and share so you don't ever have to miss an episode and neither do any of your friends. And now, for that very special request, I want to make this podcast and this whole God's Word for Life devotional walk with Jesus, make it more than just something for us, but something also for the next generation. If you have children in your home or grandchildren in your home or grandchildren in your family, or if you have children in your family, or maybe you're a single Maybe you're a college student, but you've got children at church who look up to you. I would like for you to do this. Pass this along, and here's how. Every Passover, when the Jews gather together to eat that Passover, that Seder meal, they they have the youngest child at that meal ask this very probing question. Why is this night different from other nights? They basically have the youngest child ask the question, why are we doing this? What, What makes this night different? And that gives the adults an opportunity, a golden, engraved opportunity to say, oh, let me tell you a story. Many, 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 many years ago, our fathers were slaves in Egypt. And then they tell the story about how God, with his mighty hand, rained down ten plagues on Egypt. And then how God, with his mighty hand, set them free from Egypt, all because of the blood of an innocent lamb. This is an opportunity for us to share this same story, to share the gospel with our children and children at church and our grandchildren and children in our home. So would you do that? When you get the chance, ask one of your children, ask one of these grandchildren, ask one of these children at church, do you know what makes Christianity different from other religions? Or you could ask it this way, have you heard of Passover? Or you could ask it this way, did you know God loved you enough that he came from heaven to earth and he came in flesh and blood, and then shed his blood to purchase you, purchase me, and pay the penalty for sins we've committed. Great conversation starter to be able to help you pass this glorious gospel truth to the next generation. Hey, be sure to go to PentecostalPublishing.com. We've got a great bunch of great resources, including family devotionals, opportunities for you to be able to share your faith with your children and your the next generation. So head over to PentecostalPublishing.com and use promo code GWFL10, the number 10, at checkout. And if you've not used it before, it's a one-use promo code. If you've not used it before, though, you can get 10% off your entire order. 
Also, head over to our Facebook page, God's Word for Life on Facebook. The link is there in the show notes. And interact with many others in our Facebook community. Interact with them on how you teach this lesson or how you learn it or how you share it with others. This is a great opportunity for us to bring our faith together, braid our faith together, and grow in our relationship with Jesus. We just learned about the blood. Now, next week, we're going to learn what does it mean to apply that blood, that gospel to our lives. I'm going to share with you an episode called You Must Be Born Again. And if you want to know what? Born again? How does that work? Well, tune in next week. I'm looking forward to sharing it with you and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.